0: Welcome back everyone. I'm Tony Brown and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey everybody, what's going on? Today is Monday. It is the 13th of January 2020. Well, I hope everybody had a great new year. Let's go ahead and get our contact info posted, and then we'll jump in with the show. If you'd like to contact me, I do have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. If you would rather record your own audio or send in an email, the address to send that is firearmscafe at protonmail.com, all one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. Over on the website, which is firearmscafe.com, I do have buttons for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you like the show and would ever consider supporting it financially, there is a PayPal donation button at the bottom of the page. All right, I think that is enough of our contact info. As you can tell, I am once again in the mobile studio. Today's show is going to be a little different in that it is going to be... Uh, we're going to have some uh, good feedback segments. I've got about three. I have um, one from Dave, and he sent in a uh, audio recording. It's a little bit longer, but again, for me, I, I kind of like the longer stuff. Uh, it's right around probably almost 20 minutes or so I guess Uh, but he brings up a lot of good points about the um, shooting that happened in Florida where the police uh, shot up the UPS truck and it was something I think I talked about on the last show. We also have some feedback from Warren and I had thought for some reason when I did the last show I had thought oh I had Included his feedback, but I don't think that I did. So, if I did on a previous show, which I again, I don't think I did, if I did, you know, you just hear it again. And because I don't think I did, I wanted to, to apologize to Warren, say I'm sorry there, but I actually had, had thought that I had done it. So, I wanted to make sure to get that included today. And then we also have uh, some feedback from Facebook. So that's another. That's actually another way that if you want to leave a comment on uh, the show post or anything like that that I've done, uh, and I and hopefully I'll see it on Facebook. You know, Facebook can be a little oh kind of wacky as far as what they let you see um, that type of thing. So hopefully. I think most of the people that do a comment on a post that I do, I think I see them. Uh, although, I've, And, and the, the problem is sometimes if you send a message through Facebook, sometimes I think those, they just don't get to you. I don't, I'm not exactly sure why, but they just don't. But anyway, uh, what we'll do is I will, uh, a little bit later today, This is just going to be sort of the initial segment. I'm going to talk about a a few things here, but what we'll do a little bit later today is I'm going to arrive at another destination and I'll probably get there just a touch early. So I'll have a a bit of time to do the uh, Facebook and uh, Warren's feedback. So anyway... Did I... And I can't... Again, I, I know I'm going to say I can't remember if I did this a lot, but... So you have to bear with me. I can't remember if I talked about or if it had... Or if uh, I was made aware of HK's MP5. And that is a gun... And it's a funny... It's a funny thing. Because when that thing first came out, I was like, oh boy, I, I would really love to have that... I guess it's one of the few... I don't know a lot of the history of it, just from kind of things that I've picked up here and there. I guess there were other companies that made kind of clones of it. And then I think maybe... Was it in the 90s that there was a uh, maybe an HK version of the MP5? Uh, but it didn't have the the paddle release so like the AK style release the magazine release so apparently anyway the new one is the HK and instead of they're not calling it an MP5 they're calling it an SP5 I I don't know why but anyway it has the trilug it has the um, uh, the muzzle device it has the Paddle release that also has the button release, uh, and I think it comes with two magazines. Now, the downside to this deal is it is around I think MSRP is around $2,700, which boy, that's that is pretty pricey. I and I don't know how many or what the how many is released or what the initial run I guess we call it of the the uh, sb 5s I don't know how many they're gonna release I assume they're probably gonna sell all of them that they release even at that higher price point and I guess the some of the clone stuff was around you know two thousand dollars anyway I would love to have one. I don't know that I would ever be able to justify paying that amount of money uh, for that SP5. Now with that thing too, it is a pistol. So it comes to you uh, without any type of a stock. So it's, it's, it's uh, marketed as a pistol of course, with the braces that you can get, the pistol braces, there's, I think, S, uh, SB Tactical has already got a pistol brace out for it. Uh, I'm sure that HK had, uh, you know, sent sent out word to certain pistol brace manufacturers and things like that, Oh, this and, and some other uh, aftermarket component manufacturer people, so people like Magpul and some of these other companies, and they said, hey, this is what we're going to do, and, you know, here's... Here's a copy of the gun or whatever, and you can that way you can uh, you can make whatever accessories you want, so that when this thing comes out, people will buy stuff, you know, that type of deal. So anyway, with that little, and I know that there's uh, different types of braces that you can get. Like I said, SB Tactical I think makes one, uh, and uh, there's a couple others that uh, I think would make it to where it would be much more like the actual MP, mp5 mp uh, of course this is semi-automatic only and i guess some of the original mp5 type things that they that they had that was uh semi-auto it was relatively easy uh, you always got to take that with a grain of salt when when they say oh it's relatively easy to you know, convert this to full auto. Eh, you know, who knows. Anyway, the lower receiver on it is a little bit different uh, than maybe some of the, the ones from the 80s and 90s that you could get. Uh, like I said, again, I, I'm not super conversant on the history of it. But I did think it was pretty cool. I've never shot one. I would love to shoot one. Uh, supposedly, they're, they're kind of, uh, as far as a subgun, they're kind of the the standard I guess which and even though they've HK has made other models and tried to go away from the MP5 a little bit uh, it's it seems like a lot of people still want that MP5 you know because it's kind of one of those things where you could probably do some things to modernize it a little bit but it seems like the people that are kind of using that uh, so whether through military or police or security teams whatever that is kind of hard to beat it's sort of like a uh, a perfect little deal maybe there could be a few things here and there to, to modernize it for optics but other than that it didn't really need too much other stuff uh, as far as i can tell anyway so like i said i would love to have one i'd love to get my hands on one but holy crap I mean, and, and what they're saying I guess because there, there's going to be a little bit of scarcity is to get that SP5 you're going to pay a premium price so you may pay you know up, upwards of $3,500 maybe if it you got in a bidding war on something like GunBroker, it might go for something like 4 although that to me is kind of insanity but you know, I don't know if, if you got money to burn well, you know, why not You know, it's, it's funny, too, because if we look at a few years ago, if we look at what was available in something like the MP5-type platform, or I guess what we could call a pistol-caliber carbine-type thing, uh, and especially if you wanted to SBR it, type deal you know go through do the paperwork now this was before all the braces which kind of has rendered that moot but a few years ago there really wasn't a whole lot in the technology and the development that was going into uh, what will i guess technically there you really and even i've called but i was thinking about it today and i've called my little build that I'm doing, I've called that, well, oh, this is my PCC, but it's not really a pistol caliber carbine because it's a pistol. So it's a pistol lower and it's shooting. So I guess it's just a, a braced pistol that shoots nine millimeter out of an AR lower. I mean, that's kind of a bigger mouthful, but it would be kind of silly to say something like it's a, it's a pistol caliber pistol. But, I mean, under the, the um, rulings or classifications of the ATF, you know, that 9mm... Well, I've got two... Not 9mm lowers. I've got two AR pistols. And, you know, we've talked about before, if you've got that... If once you're... Especially if you're building it, you've got a strip lower. So in, in essence, it's basically just a firearm until you kind of put your intent upon it. So I've got one, I've got one lower. Well, I've got one complete rifle. So I've got one lower that my intent always was to have that as a, as a rifle. So on that one, that would always, you know, if I were to, if I were to put, theory I guess like in a court of law type thing if I were to put a less than 16 inch barrel a barrel shorter than or an upper shorter than 16 inches you know with a barrel shorter than 16 inches on that particular rifle then that would be in violation now with the two pistol lowers that i have and i guess technically i only have the one right now because i'm in the process of building the other which i'm going to film and put on youtube and put on GunStreamer and stuff like that so uh, i would like to put it on full 30 but i don't think i'll ever be on full 30 i don't know that they're ever going to open anything up like i mean they always say they are but then they're not it's been a couple of years at least uh, since they said that they were going to go ahead and do it i just don't think they have the infrastructure Uh, But it seems like something like Gunstreamer does, and Gunstreamer seems to be able to do it. I don't know why Full 30 isn't. Maybe just the people behind it don't have the funding or don't have the resources. I don't know. If somebody does know, that would be an interesting thing to talk about, especially if you kind of know a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. Why is something like Gunstreamer able to get up and going, and something like Full 30 seems to kind of have stagnated a little bit or only adds adds people very very rarely that type of thing uh, so anyway getting back we'll circle back around to um, that pistol pistol lower that I have that's an AR lower the point about talking about that stuff was that uh, it kind of takes away sort of some of the demand for something like that in the uh, SP5, the HK SP5 uh, you look at, at uh, companies like for instance where my lower is from which is Foxtrot Mike you look at C, what is it? CMMG and they've got their little kind of uh, their version of the uh, delayed blowback system you look at some of the other thing. I think there was Angst at Arms and some of the other stuff. Heck, you even look at um, and this is what one of our some of our feedback is is going to be about. But you look at uh, products again, like I have, to where if you're sort of going to build your own type of thing and you're kind of Frankensteining it. So, in essence, for mine, I've got the pistol lower and I've got the stern defense magwell adapter uh, which allows you to take glock mags uh, but then there's a thing called endo mags, which uh, are interesting and we'll talk a little bit more about those so there's there's been more development and there's been more interest in those things and partially because I think of some of the rulings that the ATF has done in regards to the pistol brace so it makes it makes something like a eight and a half or a 10 inch nine millimeter or 10 millimeter or 45 caliber upper it makes that much more feasible if you're able to use the brace so i am uh, getting kind of trapped behind a slowpoke poke here anyway so I think that has kind of taken away some of this thing. I don't know how. I think the uh, SP5. It's obviously it's going to be popular. It'll be interesting to see. Well, what are they going to do? What's HK's plan as far as how many they're going to release per year? What you know? What do they think? they think that people are still going to kind of pay for that or do they think that people are going to say, well, you know what, for the price of one of these HKs, yeah, it's kind of cool to have, but I don't know if it's $2,700 cool when I could, if if I, uh, let's say for $600, $700 or even $800, let's say if you spent... You know, $800. You could you could buy three 9-millimeter type. Um, and I've got in my head not to call it PC, but we'll just we'll just keep saying PCCs. You know, you could you could build yourself those or buy them. Uh, you could probably buy even of the high-end things that are around maybe $1, 14, 1500. By the time you're paying what they which you might have to pay to get an HK, especially if you're looking around $3,000. Could, you could buy a 1000 you know, $3,000 ones. You could buy two $1,500 ones. I don't know how much the CMMG one is. I, and I'm driving in the truck, or I just, you know, look it up and let you guys know. But I had thought that that one... And, and maybe I'm thinking of, like, Inkstead Arms. That was around, like, $1,400 at the time. Uh, and... You know, there are, there are certain things as far as, you know, does this have last round, you know, hold, hold open, which some people really care about. Other people don't care about near as much. Um, Well, I tell you what, I am going to be arriving at my destination. So I don't, I don't want to babble on too much longer. Like I said, we do have some good feedback. Uh, I believe the gentleman that, that was on Facebook, I think his first name was John. Hopefully I've got that right. If not, I will correct it later. But we will hear from John. We'll also hear from Warren. And then uh, we'll probably uh, wrap up the show today with the feedback from Dave. And again, don't worry about the length whether you, and uh, if you want to send in some feedback, and it doesn't have to be on stuff that you know, we've talked about on, on this show or on a show, you know, the last show. It can be on stuff that we've talked about a while back. Uh, it can be on you know, maybe something you're just interested in or something that you saw. It can be political stuff. Uh, so, in fact, you know, that's probably some of the... As, as uh, time marches forward... That's going to be some of the things that we're going to be talking about a little bit more, I don't know if I want to say in depth, but they'll, they'll be more probably prominently featured in the show. Some of you guys like that, some of you guys don't, uh, but I do think it is important to talk about those things. And we'll do a little bit of that because I've uh, it's kind of on my mind right now, so before I forget about it. With the upcoming election and with the way that the House of Representatives is set up, you know they are you you get x amount of representatives based on population. It's not like in the Senate where you just have two. So what's happening in places like Texas, a little, maybe a little bit here in Arizona, is you have you have. Uh, so much flight from a lot of what we'll call blue states, I guess, that are coming into red states. And what that's going to do is it, it may, in some of those places, it the, the uh, population growth may change. And I, like I said, I think in Arizona, we may end up picking up one more, uh, one more rep. I don't know. I, I heard a thing where one guy was thinking maybe two, but you you know, uh, based on the census and everything like that, you know, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. But uh, again, as as you see, a lot of these blue blue state people. And we've talked about this before that a lot of people maybe who were who were more conservative moved out of there a few years ago. But what's happening now? is that they are getting so regulated and overtaxed and and unfairly taxed on stuff that anybody who, and now even the blue state, the the dyed in the wool, maybe we'll call them uh, uh, liberals, ultra liberals, who are gonna vote Democrat no matter what, those people are even starting to say, oh man, enough is enough. We gotta get out of here. And uh, there's a huge exodus from California. And a lot of those people are going to uh, they're going to places like Arizona just because we're very close. They're also uh, flowing into Nevada and into Utah. Uh, and a lot of those too, you get a lot of people from back east and uh, as well from California are flowing into Texas. In fact, every once in a while you'll see out here in Arizona where I am you'll see a bumper sticker that says, you know, don't california don't california my arizona. Um, so it will be interesting to see and like I've said over uh, in the past few shows when we're talking about some of uh, the political stuff and kind of what's going to happen and, and what is the political face of uh, of Arizona going to be going forward? Is it going to kind of eventually flip back to red is it going to be a state where it's going to be kind of a pink state where we have maybe a majority of more and for lack of a better term we'll say conservative i guess we could use republican and democrat just to keep it relatively simple but are we going to have more of that Uh, a thing where over time and i used to think in 15 20 years we would probably be we would go from pink maybe more into purple but I think probably what's going to happen is that Arizona will probably turn to maybe like a pink state uh, it depends on how far the pendulum is going to swing with the Democratic Party and then the left and how you know bananas they're going to get uh, and and eventually people will say you know what we've had we've had enough and uh, that is that well I tell you what um real quick here I do I still do think that Trump is probably going to get re-elected I think it may be very very close but at this point in time I do think that he will be re-elected I am approaching my destination so I will sign off and I will probably pick up hopefully with you guys here in a few hours if it turns out uh, the way that I think it is going to turn out I will be right back Hey guys, I'm back. Actually, it is the next day, it's Tuesday. So, I wanted to tell you about a little outing that I'm gonna go on, and then after that, we will get to the feedback, and I will, I'm gonna arrive at a place where I can take about uh, 10 minutes or so, and then uh, we'll be stopped, and that way I can safely look at everything. So, the outing that I'm gonna have is I'm going to go to the gun range. And you might say, oh, that's not that big a deal. But I am going to take my aunt with me. And she is a person who has some hand strength issues. And a little bit of a backstory. uh, She never really had that big of an interest in guns. I don't think she was necessarily anti-gun. But as my uncle's sort of hand strength and health and all that type of stuff has kind of gone down a bit. And some of he's, he's having some mobility issues. She kind of feels like, well, we've got a firearm in the house and I need to know how to run it. I need to know um, that if something goes down that I would be able to, to use it and and I'd be familiar with it. But I want to make sure that I can uh, manipulate it and maintain it. And not just be able to shoot it, but be able to you know take care of it and everything. And one of the firearms that they have, one of the handguns that they have, I think that she feels would be appropriate for home defense. Uh, they have a Glock thirty, which they've had for years and years and years. But she never really had much interest in kind of the inner workings of it and, and all that stuff, and she basically kind of was of the mindset, whether you would say this is a correct mindset or not, Uh, but she was of the mindset, well, uh, my husband will take care of that if something comes in, you know, he'll grab the gun, he'll, you know, and he'll do that stuff, and he's kind of in charge of it, that's his deal. So, what has happened, what has happened is, is, as he's getting older, my uncle's mobility is sort of going down a little bit. And she feels now that she needs to be able to run the gun, like I said, maintain it, do all that stuff as some of his mobility has gone down. And she sees that a little bit that some of the self-defense stuff may fall more to her. But she's also, and I'm talking with her, she's also of the mindset that even if, you know, he was a hundred percent, if something happened to him, she should still be able to maintain it. Or, uh, if he's out of the house and someone breaks in while she's there, that type of thing. So anyway, I had taken, uh, you know, uh, some of my handguns over there and let her go through them. And, uh, she, and we, we went over how to disassemble it and you know, how to do, uh, safety all this other type of stuff and then she went to the range i think and shot it uh, a little kind of on her own and i think the glock 30 which is uh, in uh, in uh, 45 it was just a bit much for her and then also the uh, a major issue is she was like oh you know it looks like my hands are strong but i just can't manipulate the firearm the way that I want to. And I know there's certain techniques and we went over some of those things, but uh, she just feels like, ah, you know, it's, it's too hard. And the main thing too was is that she didn't have the hand strength to, and the coordination she felt. I mean, I think she could probably get it after a while, but, you know, with the Glock, to do your little takedown lever and you, you got to do your, um, uh, not lever, but you know what I mean, the little, uh, what the heck is that? I'm having a, a mind freeze right now. <laughs> anyway, almost everybody out there knows how, that's listening to this, knows how you disassemble a Glock. And for her, she didn't really have the strength to be able to pull down those front tabs and then pull back on the slide and the coordination of it was just... it. She can get it sometimes, but, eh, you know, and, and she just doesn't care for it. So one of the guns that when we were first in initial discussions that I was talking to her about was the Smith & Wesson M&P. I think it's their shield line, but it is the, uh, the 380EZ. And uh, I had showed her some videos on that. And of course most of the videos are men who are using the gun and they're saying, Oh, it's, you know, it's hardly any recoil. It's, you know, it's super easy to to rack the slide, all that and the other thing. And then she kind of made the point and she's like, well, yeah, I mean you, you know, it's super easy for them, but look at those guys. She goes, they're, they're like you, they're these big gorillas and they got plenty of hand strength. So of course it's no problem. And you know, is it going to be that way for me? Is it going to be super easy? And I was like, well, I think, you know, the way that this is designed and everything is designed for somebody who maybe has some arthritis or has some hand issues. So anyway, what I did is I said, well, let me let me call around a couple of gun ranges and we'll see if they have one for rental. So I called over to a gun range out here, one of the uh, ones and one of the first ones and one I like. It's uh, C2 Tactical. And some of you Arizona and Phoenix people, East Valley people may know where that is. And so I called them up and they're like, well, yeah, we actually have that one. We have it for rent. So this Thursday we are going to go over to the range and uh, I will hold off on putting the show out until uh, on Friday. I'll give you guys a range report and uh, we'll kind of see what she thinks. For me, I think it's gonna be super easy. Now, I know and I don't know if it's out yet. Uh, and like I said, I'm in the truck and so I can't see, but I know that they're coming out with an uh an easy and nine millimeter. And that may actually work. I don't know, but we'll see. I mean I, I know that the uh from the reports that I've seen is that the three eighty E Z is the easiest one. And then the nine millimeter is sort of a little bit of a step up from that, but it's a, it's still, you know, a couple of steps down from the uh, uh, you know from a regular let's say like Glock nine millimeter type thing, or even the the regular M and P's type thing. So we will see. I I you know, and I may have her. Uh, well. It, I was going to say, I may have her look at some of the larger MMPs or just a regular shield. Uh, But again, it's, it's going to be some of that slide stuff. Her, the easy may be kind of what we want. Now, some of you guys may say, well, you know, she could do, you know, could she do something or would she maybe want to use a revolver where there's really not going to be a whole lot of, Uh, manipulation you know she can get something with uh, maybe like a um, a double action single action where she could cock the hammer if she felt she needed to uh, as opposed to having the longer trigger trigger pull Um, and, and you know the and I don't know how big a deal that would be however if she's going from, let's say, if it's a, you know, from the double action, so she's she hasn't cocked the hammer, and she's deciding to do that, she may think, well, the trigger pull is a little too heavy and a little too long, uh, and she may feel the, you know, maybe the the uh, the weight of the revolver. If she, let's say, if she got something like a five inch uh, Smith and Wesson or you know a Colt or something like that, or not five inch. What am I saying? Thinking <laughs> of thinking of the, the uh, barrel length. So maybe a 4-inch Smith & Wesson, a 357. Might be pretty good. But what she is thinking is uh, she would rather have a little bit more capacity and have the ability to do kind of, if, if she needed to, a quick magazine change. Now, here's, here's the deal. She will actually, she's not one of those uh, people who will say, okay, I'll buy the gun, I'll shoot it once and I'll put it away and never touch it again. She is the type of person that will actually go to the range, will take some classes and will get some training to where she's actually, I'm saying actually a lot, to where she is competent with the firearm. Now, well, there was another thing. Maybe I'll talk about this a little bit later one of the things, and this is one of the things that I've kind of always thought too is that, you know, training is good uh, but for the majority of self-defense situations and this is going to be maybe controversial to some or go against some of the dogma is that there are a ton of people out there that we hear about and I think um, my friend Phil Wong who some of you guys have heard on other shows. But anyway, Phil had put an article up Uh, and I can't remember who wrote the original article, but it was talking about that the majority of people that, that defend themselves with firearms don't have tons and tons of training. And the reality is, is that if somebody can put a couple of shots on a torso sized target, so uh, maybe a, uh, Oh, let's say like a, uh, you could even probably say like a 12 by 12 square, but it's actually even probably a little bit bigger than that. That if you could just, you know, pick up, pick up a firearm. And if you had, I think the example they used were if you took two pieces of regular eight and a half by 11 paper, and then did them landscape so they're the long rectangle and stacked them on top of each other. So your actual measurement would be 11 by what 17. So if you had that kind of thing with 17, you know, running up and down, and the 11 going, you know, right and left, we'll say that if you could do that, you would probably be able to defend yourself in 90% of. And I think they even gave a higher number, but I, I think he said something even like 98% of self-defense shooting just because it's so close. Uh, so that if you could kind of do that and do that under stress, you're probably going to be okay. But then it's those other situations where maybe you need to place an accurate shot. And that's why, and the, maybe those are going to be a few and far between. And uh, you're hearing the dishes rattle. I dropped off my daughter for school. She brought some of her breakfast with her because we're running a little bit late. So I don't know if you heard that, but if you did, that's what that was. Anyway, you know, it's those one or two percent shots that you may need to take in order to save your life or to save the life of a family member. And that's why you need to get the training. And also, it does, you know, by doing training and doing Uh, maybe some competition, you sort of get some of that stress inoculation where it, it, if something like that happens, again, it's not going to mimic it perfectly, but your body is going to say and your mind is going to say, oh, this is kind of familiar or hey, I know what to do in this situation. So you're not, hopefully with that, you don't just freeze. All right, so I'm pulling in. So let me know what you guys think on that. I thought it was interesting. It's something that I've always kind of, uh, kind of thought when when sometimes people say, you know, you've got to have sixty thousand hours and you know do all this and three thousand hours of that before you're even you know you, before you should even touch a gun and and think about you know carrying one for, for self defense. And I've always thought, well, there's been a heck of a lot of people out there with very little to sometimes maybe even zero training that uh, have defended themselves and done okay. And uh, again, with, with that, you know, so the point of me saying that is, do I think that she could, if she had a gun right now, that she would be able to defend herself? And the answer would be yes. So anyway, let's go ahead and... Let's look at some of our feedback that we were talking about the other day. Let me pull it up here real quick. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll uh, read a little bit of the feedback that we got from John, or Jim, excuse me. I said the wrong thing. Mucho apologies there, Jim. I thought it was John for some reason. But anyway, it was Jim, and this is over on uh, Facebook, over on the listener page over there. Uh, Jim wrote in. We were talking about the nine-millimeter uh, AR pistol that I was uh, talking about, and some of the and some of the, and how I had a um, the stern defense thing. What he was using? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's terrible. I think like I'm going through puberty again. Anyway, what he was using was something a little different. So all go ahead. Oh, and one other thing too I need to correct. I kept saying the other day on the last show, extractor. I was saying extractor, extractor, extractor. And what I should have been saying was it's the ejector. It's not the extractor. The extractor is in the bolt and there is no problem with that. Uh, so for some of you guys maybe that aren't as familiar with some of the nomenclature, the extractor is the, the uh, uh, kind of like a little hooked piece of metal. Uh, think of maybe like a little hooked dent- dentist pick, but of course much thicker. And what that does is it grabs onto the rim of uh, the brass case and it pulls it out. And as it pulls it out of the chamber and is pulling it back, the ejector is what hits uh, usually on the back of the case. It hits the back of, the, uh, of your case and, it, and then it is able to you know push it out. Uh, through the ejection port. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Jim wrote in and he said, I just listened. Thank you for the show. Always entertaining. About the PCC, I've been using Mean Arms mags. They work very well and are a cheaper alternative to conversions. The downside, you can't have the same mags as your pistol. And then he put a a pistol, or a pistol, he put a picture of uh his thing over on facebook so if you want to go check that out you can see his um his ar with a nine millimeter upper and you can also see he's got a picture of what the endo mag looks like so i would say go ahead go on facebook if you have an account over there and go over to you can just do firearms cafe and look for i believe it was show number was it 201 that i did i think it was two yeah 201 so anyway uh, look for that post and you can see that picture. And uh, I think they are for one... And and what you get, it's $30. I went on the website and looked around. And you get, basically, you're replacing the guts in a PMAG. They have one, if you have a CMMG, uh, Banshee, I believe it is, you can... You, you want to get one that's... They have one that's special for that. Uh, but for all other things. And one of them, when I went and looked on Indomag's website, one of them that they talked about was the, uh, the Foxtrot mic upper. So it is kind of, I won't say necessarily designed to work with the Foxtrot mic, but that was when I went onto their website and looked and watched their video, that was one of the uppers that they were using and they weren't having any problems with it. So anyway, the guts of this thing is $30. And I thought, oh, and at first I thought, oh, you're going to get, you may might get three for 30 because you can get, you know, a full mag sometimes <laughs> if you can find them on sale. Sometimes you can get them for like 10 bucks. It's a full magazine with guts and a follower and, you know, everything like this. And on, uh, so anyway, um, it's 30 bucks, but it's only for one set of guts. Now maybe somewhere there's one where you can find them uh, on sale and get them a little bit cheaper. Uh, but I had thought, well shoot, for 30 bucks I should get at least two. Because all, all it really is is I think it's an end plate on the on the bottom of the spring, the spring, and then their follower. So one of the problems I guess that you can have with it because your I believe the ejector is in the the follower. And so that if you're running a certain type of drill or if you're doing a certain thing and you go to do maybe a speed reload, it can, and you drop, you drop the mag out. So let's say you had five rounds and you you fired off three, you know, bang, bang, bang. And then you So what it's done is it's it's chambered around as the bolt has gone forward. And then let's say that you were going to drop that mag out. Let's say you're done with with shooting for the day and you drop the mag. So you've still got one round left in the magazine and you've got one round in the chamber because you didn't fire that. If you were to drop that mag, out and then you're going to run your charging handle back because there is no ejector it's not um, if you run the handle back and then let it go the the round is going to stay kind of in the bolt face and it's just going to go back in the chamber and i so uh so let's say and i guess you know and what you would have to do is you would either have to pull it back and then reach in with your hand and take that live round out or you would have to have an empty mag to put back in and then run that back the extractor will still extract the round from the chamber but then you'll have that ejector that's in that empty mag and if you if you don't so let's say you put your and that's something I don't know. If you put that endomag back in there with, let's say you had five rounds left or that one round left in there, as you go pull it back, it, sh- well, it should well, it, should it eject it? because the ejector's there. I don't I don't know. It seemed like some people were saying that you had to have, maybe because of the geometry of it, that you had to have an empty mag and not have an experience with it. I, I don't know, but I saw some things on YouTube where that, that was what they were kind of saying is that you had to, so let's say if you, you had a full 30 rounds. Um, oh, and that's another thing that's interesting about it is it comes sort of California compliant, meaning it, it's got a, a plastic piece on the back on the inside that you can cut. So it it limits it to 10, 15, 20, or maybe it's not 20. Maybe it's just 10 and 15, but maybe it's 20 as well. Again, like I said, I don't have one in my grubby little mitts to to do, but I do think I am going to order one. Uh, I don't know if I could find a good deal for three. I would probably do it because I think it would work with mine I've done some of the well I I'm, I'm kind of getting off I'm getting all over the place here um so let me kind of get my thoughts kind of back in line here and then we'll go forward so with the with that endomag I think that that would be kind of a viable at first lesser expensive alternative to doing what i did which was that i bought the stern defense thing now i think the stern defense i think i paid was it 160 or 180 i and i can't remember 100 percent what i paid but anyway let's just say it was 180 dollars, like all total shipped out everything i think that's what it maybe what it was. I can't remember, but let's say that that was the price and you say, well, shoot, $180 is a lot cheaper or is a lot more expensive than $30, but that $30 is only for one magazine. And for me, because I have Glocks and I have Glocks in nine millimeter, I have a ton of Glock magazines already. So I've already made that investment. So it's not like, oh, this is a brand new thing for me. And going forward, what I'm going to do. So let's say I had, uh, I don't know, M&Ps or I had something, you know, different. So in my handguns, I didn't own any Glock. So I don't have any Glock magazine. So at that point, if you say, well, I have to, not only I'm going to buy this Stern Defense adapter or some other type of adapter that goes into the magwell, and then I'm also going to have to buy the magazine. So at that point, you would say, well, it's probably more economical for me just to buy the Indomags. But if you're somebody like me who has Glocks and has a lot of magazines, let's say if you wanted to have for that, for for your Indomags, that you wanted to have 10 magazines or or 10, 10 of those guts, let's say. So what you would be looking at would be, and I think they're... They're $80 for three. So by the time you buy, if you buy, um, and you want 10, you're looking at, um, what, $270? I think by the time it's all said and done. So you know, if you want a lot of those mags, unless you could find them on sale, like if you could get three for 30, that would be a, a, a lot better, but you're really about the best you're going to do. Cause like I said, I think they, I think they were $79 for three, uh, as opposed to if you were buying them individually, it would be $90 for three. So, you know, basically it's 80 bucks for those three. And then if you, if you, again, if you're buying, if you wanted 10 or let's say you want to just, you know, let's say you just wanted six. Well, boom, you're already probably at $160, maybe a little bit more. So at that point, you're starting to get up into that area of, um, the, the cost is starting to even out. Now, if you only wanted maybe two or three magazines, it's still going to be a lot cheaper. If you wanted only six, you're about the same price. Um, But if you're buying that adapter, so again, let's say if you're buying Stern Defense, which I like, they're not a sponsor or anything like that, and I didn't get anything from them. I wish I had, but I didn't. Uh, But I like that Stern Defense thing. It's got last round bolt hole open. It's got... um, the uh, the ejector that's in there and uh you know you can kind of work on it a little bit if you needed to you can get some replacement parts and things like that for it so you know for me it made more sense to kind of do it that way and then what happens too is let's say you're you're going out camping and you're going to take and again these are kind of situations that are tailor-made to fit this example but Let's say if you were going to go out camping or something like that and you wanted to have, you're going to take your Glock with you and you wanted to have maybe a PCC with you to to give yourself a little bit better. You're going to have it for fun. But if you wanted it for protection or something like that, you've got something that you're probably going to be able to shoot better and more accurately because you can have, uh, you know, you got your three points of contact. you got maybe a, a better sighting system. you got a red dot or something like that on there. So you would be, you could run the same mags. So anyway, I need to go in, and when I get back, we'll do another bit of feedback here. So let me see. Did I have... Yeah, I I, I will do um, the feedback that we got from Warren when I get back, uh, because I'll have a little bit of extra time where I can just kind of sit here in the truck. Uh, and that way I can give sort of... Uh, a little bit of time to warren's feedback so jim hey thanks for sending that in again to warren apologize for not getting this out on the show sooner i thought that i had but when we get back we will go ahead and i'll give you a little teaser it's about lever guns with warren's feedback so lever guns lever guns all right see you in a second All right, let's go ahead and get Warren's feedback here for the show. He writes, Tony, I have a Marlin 1894 357 Magnum. It's a very smooth action and shoots great. Recoil is very mild. A great brush gun for around here, which is Western Oregon. Last time my nephews were up shooting, they couldn't get enough of it. They range in ages from 6 to 14. Each one could handle it with ease. You also talked about 10mm Glocks. I don't have any experience shooting the Glock, but I do have a Springfield XDM in 10mm. I just picked it up a few days ago, so I have not had the chance to shoot it yet, but I much prefer the feel in hand to the Glock. I wear size double XL gloves, and the Springfield feels better to me than the Glock does. I thought I would give you my opinion, thanks Warren. All right, Warren. Well, thanks for writing in. I appreciate it. And again, apologies for not being able to get your feedback out on the show sooner. Like I said, I thought that I had done it the other show. And so uh, when I did last show, I thought, oh, I already did that. So anyway, and if I did, like I said, I can't remember, but I don't think I did. But if I did, well, we'll get to hear it again. So anyway, I'm actually for this segment I'm back in the mobile studio. And I am gonna start the journey here. So we may hear some truck noises and stuff. But you know, I still would, one of these days, love to get a couple of lever action rifles. I'd love to get, like I was talking about before, a 45-70. Uh, and I would also love to get a 357. And if money were no object, I'd want to get one in like, you know, 44 Magnum and a bunch of other stuff as well. So I was glad to hear that the recoil on it is nice and soft. And so you don't really get, you know, a huge impulse with the 357 Magnum. Although I, I, I think you would get some um, for a handgun cartridge. It's pretty powerful. But even in a handgun cartridge, uh, unless you're shooting super hot loads, the 357 is manageable through, you know, well, I guess it depends on what you're shooting it through. If you're shooting it through a little snubby, it may not be too pleasant. But what I have is a 6-inch stainless steel uh, Smith & Wesson. So it's a big, heavy gun, and it sort of soaks up a lot of that recoil. And uh, you can get... Now, if you haven't... Now, I will say this. If you haven't shot it in a while and you are shooting a little bit hotter load through it, uh, it kinda can, can wear on your hand a bit. But if you're, you know, if you're out there shooting it you know, pretty regular, uh, even the hot loads are pretty manageable. Uh, when I was younger and in college, a uh, buddy of mine, in fact my roommate at the time, we would go out into the desert and uh, shoot a bunch. So, anyway, uh, and, and uh, you know, I was really used to it and all that other kind of stuff. So, anyway, uh, back to Warren's stuff. I would love to be able to have something like that again because it matches the handgun that I have. You know, the same caliber and everything. So, and, and for those of you guys that don't know, you can shoot uh, 38 specials through uh, anything that's chambered in three fifty-seven generally it's lower pressure and all that stuff so there's no there's no safety concerns or anything like that it and i think it would be nice too you know a lot of times we think about well what's a good first gun and uh, a lot of times we automatically say oh well a 22 because there's really no sort of felt recoil you know you can you can shoot a 22 all day it's not going to do anything there you know you just don't feel anything you're just basically pulling the trigger and then especially if you have somebody who is a little maybe sound sensitive as well if you pop that thing on uh, or pop a suppressor on that thing excuse me i should say then you're really all you're hearing is just the action of the of the gun just the click clack you don't hardly hear anything especially if you can shoot some uh, subsonic loads through it and you don't. I mean, it's super quiet. Now let's uh, switch over a little bit to sort of that ten millimeter talk. And a couple episodes ago, I was talking about that I I wouldn't mind having a ten millimeter. It seems that a lot of guys in Alaska and uh, places where there's bear country, if they're out hunting, and the uh, the red coats. Don't have any regulations against carrying a pistol, uh, you know, for self protection and everything like that. Uh, A lot of guys are carrying 10 millimeter. And they're using it, they're shooting kind of hotter loads through it. um, And they are using it for protection, maybe against bear or maybe, depending on where they are, maybe mountain lion, things like that. So, or, you know, in the worst, in, well, I guess, I don't know. I don't know which I would consider a worst case scenario. At least with a, uh, a criminal, you might have the ability to reason or they might disengage once they see that you're, uh, that you're armed. Although, uh, if somebody is approaching you while you're out hunting, you already have a long gun on you. Uh, unless maybe you were bow hunting or something like that. Uh, But even with that, you're, you know, you're still armed. So, But uh, unfortunately, there's not going to be any reasoning with a mountain lion or a bear. So, But I saw an interesting video the other day. And there's a, a guy by the name of Paul Harrell. And I actually like quite a bit of his stuff. And he does a lot of testing. And one of the kind of interesting things is uh, one of the ways that he does the testing is he makes what he'll call like a meat target. And he tries to, he'll get um, uh, like a rack of ribs, like pork ribs, or uh, beef ribs, something like that, depending on what he's testing, to try and simulate uh, a human target. And then he'll take, so he'll have a layer of of denim or something on the outside, then he'll have the the, uh, ribs, and then he'll have uh, oranges or watermelon, things like that to simulate Lung tissue, and then on the other side, then he goes uh, again to the. He's got another set of ribs, and then he's got, uh, I think, cloth again, and then he's got a little backstop where he can try and catch the bullets. And I know it's not the same as shooting through, but it, you know, I think it gives you a little bit better, oh, uh, uh, for doing a simulated effect, it probably is one of the better things out there rather than just shooting it into jail because you are. You're shooting it through meat. You're shooting it, you know, through clothing and meat, and uh, the simulated stuff of, uh, you know, of the fruit. You know, maybe gives you, you know, I don't know how well that simulates lung tissue because there's still other organs and, uh, you know, you have your spinal column and other things that are in there. But basically, I think it does a pretty good version and. It's, it's interesting on how many times the actual, the actual bullet doesn't go all the way through, depending on what he's testing. So anyway, the whole point of all this stuff was that we were talking you know, a little bit earlier about the 10 millimeter, and I still am interested in getting it. But one of the things that he did was he said, well... Let's test between 10 millimeter and 45 ACP. And kind of what he found, you can go over there, if, if you look up Paul Harrell, uh, P-A-U-L, and then Harrell is spelled H-A-R-R-E-L-L, so two R's and two L's. So if you look up that and then type in, you know, 45 versus 10 millimeter, 10 millimeter versus 45, whichever it is, it'll, it'll pop up for you. And kind of what he found and I, I'll sort of paraphrase uh, or, or uh, summarize kind of the video there uh, he did some uh, and also what he does is he he has a chronograph and so he actually sees okay well this is how fast these particular bullets are going in so when we have uh, you know uh, velocity and uh, The weight of the bullet you know what what does that give us as far as energy that's getting dumped into the target and what will that mean for expansion things like that and so a lot of times what he'll shoot is he'll do stuff where he shoots just kind of regular ammo so he'll try and shoot a variety of different ammo so we get a little bit more of a of a what do they call it a sample sample size you know get a little bit bigger sample size so anyway what he found was of course that the 10 millimeter was you know moving faster but sort of at the end when you look at at energy dumped in if I remember right I've seen so many of his videos that some of them kind of blur together but if I remember right the 10 millimeter was better so you I think you got more energy um, and depending on what you were shooting but it wasn't that much better so that if you had a 45 and if you and if and if you were gonna carry that for protection in, in bear country that the penetration at least on some of the targets that he was getting wasn't that you wouldn't necessarily be undergunned. i guess would be the thing with 45 and especially probably on you know human targets or something like that but it, you know if you got something on a bear Um, I don't know. I still think that, and a lot of times, you know, he says, oh, well, these are my findings, but you know, you still be the judge type thing. And so for me, if I was going to carry either a 45 or a 10 millimeter, I don't know that I would necessarily feel that I was totally undergun with a 45, but I would probably, if I can get just a little bit more performance out of the 10 millimeter, I would probably opt to carry that. And especially if I was gonna be in bear country. Uh, Now, if we switch over to some of the other uh, videos that I've seen from guys that live in Alaska and have had experience out there and guys uh, who go out and hunt and know of people that have had encounters with bears. And I can't remember what was the guy? He had like an odd name, like Chuke or something like that. C H U K E Chukes Outdoor or something like that. Anyway, he's an Alaska guy and he talks about how up in Alaska, ten millimeter is sort of the the gun in the round of choice and the and of those guns, the Glocks are sort of the gun of choice to carry when you're out sort of out in the bush a little bit, or just, you know, my brother used to live up in Sitka and uh, the island, one of the little islands out there in Alaska. And even out there, there's a ton of brown bears, a ton of grizzly. And when we were out there, he and his, his wife had gone further North, believe it or not. And were doing some teaching up on some of the, uh, the oil rig kind of the oil companies will in their case, what happens is, you know, the, when they're out there working on the oil fields and, and doing that stuff, they basically have... You almost get like these little villages. So you get lots of uh, workers and then you also have lots of native people that will send their their kids up to school. So they need school teachers up there in these far north reaches. So anyway, he was up there doing that. He let us, my wife and my daughter and myself, stay in his little apartment type thing that they had. It was kind of a... Oh, you would call it an apartment, but it, you—it was almost like a two-story townhome that you sort of had to yourself type thing. But it was still tiny; it was teeny tiny. So there would really be no way that we could have stayed there with them, because it was a uh, a very small two-bedroom apartment, and calling it a two-bedroom apartment is a stretch. And I, I, and then you, but you also had a downstairs part, Uh, but that was mainly just storage. And part of that reason that you kind of stay in the upstairs and not in the downstairs, and and, uh, all your cooking and everything is done sort of upstairs, is you don't want a bear to come in. And the fact I don't know if I've told this story before, but uh, when when we were there, there was a lady who was cooking a pizza in uh, you know in her her house and a brown bear just waltzed right in Uh, and so she went out the back door and called the police and then uh, eventually the thing left but it kind of trashed the place a little bit not too bad not as bad as it could be but uh, stuff like that happens all the time and when you were out hiking on trails you would see signs saying you know brown bear spotted and it would give the date so a lot of times we'd be there and it would be like brown bear spotted you know in and around this trail two days ago and you're kind of like ooh. so it does it while it was really beautiful up there it it did make me a little nervous uh, sort of walking around the trails uh you know kind of knowing you know i'm not top of the food chain here and this these are creatures that mostly if they hear stuff kind of you know don't you're not necessarily their their prey or their their uh, preferred prey, I guess, is what we would say, or their preferred food source. And so usually if you have one that is not necessarily hungry or maybe it's it's not old, they generally will kind of go the other way if they hear you. So they always talk about, you know, make a lot of noise, talk a lot, you know, don't be super quiet. Um, they also talk about that dogs, a lot of people will go out with their dogs, but that you want them sort of on the, on the leash with you type thing or, or, you know, don't let it run off because a lot of times what happens is that dog would be considered something that a bear would eat. It would see that as, oh, here's a good food source for me. And sometimes when the dog, if it goes off and then comes back, it can bring the bear back to you. Although some people will make the argument, well, you're better off to have a dog because the dog is going to alert, especially if you're kind of a, you know, if you live up there and your dog's sort of used to that type of stuff. How true that stuff is either way, eh, I don't know. Anyway, that's just what I was told by, you know, some people that lived up there that I talked with. Also, you would see people, a lot of people up there packed uh, big bore revolvers, you know, like the four, what is it, four... Is it 454 or 464 something like that or 455 i can't remember all those and like they'll and some people will even pack the big 500s with those things though they're you're harder to get the follow-up shots and that's one thing with that 10 millimeter is uh, it is maybe a little bit easier to do it also you have a larger capacity than maybe those five rounds that you've got in those big in the big revolvers. And one of the things that that chook guy was saying was that a lot of times you're shooting that bear, bang, 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 bang. And it's still coming at you if it's deciding that it's going to charge you. And you're just unloading and you want as much lead sort of going downrange toward that bear and hitting that bear as you can. And he had said that several of his friends and several of the, of the people that he had heard about up there that well a lot of times what happens is this like that six seventh eight shot that you're dumping into that bear that finally stops it and it, a lot of times it can get right up to you before kind of the wiring of the old uh, computer in the bear short circuit and shuts it down so anyway i know i kind of strayed a lot off on there i still like i said with a lot of these things A lot of the guns that I talk about, a lot of the things that I would like to get are kind of wish list or dreams or type thing. Or if it's a deal where if maybe I had unlimited funds or maybe I win the lottery one of these days or something. And so, you know, buying a bunch of guns isn't that big a deal. I do think that uh, one of these days that sort of is on kind of the bucket list of getting the uh, 4570, a 357 Magnum, now the, uh, and the lever gun, and the 357 Magnum, I've wanted one of those for a long time, uh, but just never have kind of pulled the trigger on them, kind of, no pun intended, but, so anyway, uh, thanks for sending that in, Warren, again, apologies for taking uh, so long to get it out, hopefully you're still listening, if you are still listening, and I promise I will do better at getting the feedback in, if you, uh, send me in another meet another email let me know how you like that Springfield uh XDM in 10 millimeter let me know kind of what you thought of it uh, if you've had a chance to get out to the range i know a lot of times we get stuff and it's just uh, life kind of gets in the way and it's hard to get out to the range and uh Get your shooting time in. So, and that's something that this year I'm going to try and do a little bit better. In fact, today uh, you guys are getting time warped a bunch here. It's actually Thursday, and I am going with my aunt, and she is going to shoot the uh, like I talked about before. She's going to shoot that M&P uh, shield. The 380 ez so we've already got the lane reserved. we've got uh the gun reserve so we you know we you know we we don't get there and then it's like oh sorry uh, we only had one of those and some other jokers shooting that thing right now so uh, for those of you guys maybe that don't know although most of you do a lot of gun ranges will have a section of rentals and so you can um, if there's something you're interested in You know, you don't have to spend a ton of money trying to, uh, you know, say, well, I'm just going to buy it and I'll shoot it. If I don't like it, I'll I'll sell it again type thing, Uh, which in the past maybe was about the only way you could do it if you didn't have a friend that had that particular firearm. And uh, I've taken you guys with me to the range a couple of times where when I was looking, uh, trying to have my initial assessment on just a red dot in general, uh, I would went to the range a couple of times and rented a couple of guns that had them and shot them. and, and uh, one of them, I think it because it was a range gun, they hadn't really made sure that it maintained zero, although it was one of the venom things. Uh, I think that I, I think Vortex is the manufacturer of that. and uh, anyway, I, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, I'm at my destination, but I do have a few more minutes, so I think um, we'll go ahead and kind of close out the thing on that for right now, on that particular thing, and we'll start up on a new subject. So the show today is actually going to be quite a bit longer because this is maybe the, I think, the third segment, and we still have Dave's uh, voicemail, or technically, I guess it's just an MP3 that he, his audio recording that he sent in. And like I said, it's right around, I think 19 minutes or so, but there is a lot of good stuff there. So I did want to play it in its entirety. So what I will do, let's go ahead and we'll, I'll drop this in kind of when I'm editing it. I've, I've got the, the, the file on my phone, but there's no way to, to put it in this recording that I'm doing there's no way where I can record and sort of play it at the same time and if I did it it would sound terrible so it's better for me to put it in and post but what I'm going to do because I listened to it the other day it's still pretty fresh in my mind some of the stuff that he was saying Uh, so I'll I'll do my comments on that uh, here in just a second so let's go ahead and listen to Dave's audio recording
1: Hey Tony, it's Dave in Utah. Um, just heard the most recent Firearms Cafe talking about uh, some of the gun laws and the uh, the UPS van shooting. <clears throat> I hadn't... I, I guess I hadn't read into the article about how the jewelry store robbers had been in active gunfights with people before they jumped into the UPS van. But... Um, so if I've, I was able to, I had the opportunity to, um, go through law enforcement training a few years ago. Um, I didn't end up, uh, becoming a police officer, but I did go through the academy. And one of the things that we learned in the academy is the procedures for a high risk vehicle stop. Um, and basically what you do is you you get the car to pull over, and once they're pulled over, then you you set up your own vehicles, you know, a couple of car lengths back to act as barricades. And then you get out, and everyone covers covers the car. People cover different sectors of it. And then you have one person who, in a very kind of orderly step-by-step manner, they order out one person at a time and tell them to, you know, driver, stick both hands out the window, slowly open the door, keep your hands where I can see them, exit the car, move back toward my voice. And then you have one of the officers, one of your other partners, take them into custody. And then you say, okay, passenger, you know, put your hands out the window, open the door, you know, exit the vehicle, come back to. Anyway, so it's a very orderly procedure, the police maintain control the entire time, it slows everything down so everybody's heart rate comes back down, um, and uh, that's, that's the correct way to do a felony stop. Now the way that they learned how to do that has been through um, experience. One of the big reasons why they do felony stops that way is from the FBI uh, Miami Dade um, shootout with the two bank or armored car robbers. Um, you know the really the really famous incident. In that one, they had developed a tactic where they were going to basically um, not a pit maneuver, but just kind of run the car off the road. The idea is that they would go and they would run the car off the road, and then all the other agents' cars would swarm around it, and they would they would jump out and they'd they would basically be surrounding the car and um, from what I had heard from a, a MAG 80 class that I was able to participate in from Masad is is um, there were people who were worried that like, you know, are you guys crazy? You guys are gonna you know, these violent armed felons you're gonna stop them and in your idea is you're gonna just you know, get right in their face? What if they have an Uzi? They're gonna kill you all and, um, that's basically what happened with the FBI, um, shootout. You know, most of the agents that died, the agents that were hurt in the shooting, basically were all within a few car lengths of the, of the suspects. Um, one agent who is actually able to get effective hits on, on the bad guys, um, and maintain, you know, uh, no injuries to himself was ron reisner and he had parked his car a couple of car lengths down across the street and was um using the engine of of his car for cover leaning over the hood taking well-aimed shots with the nine millimeter in fact i think i had heard in um i think it was in the mag 80 that mass had said that uh when the 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 one guy with the mini fourteen, he shot Agent Hanlon, and then killed uh, killed the two other agents, and um, uh, Reisner shot him, and and one of his shots broke the guy's uh, and a bone in his forearm, and it caused him to drop the rifle, and so after that he then. Uh, you know, he dropped his rifle, and then he went and tried to start the car and tried to drive off. And then, of course, uh, Agent Morales, you know, shot at him with a shotgun, etc. But uh, Mass was telling us that um, Ron Reisner was kind of, the, kind of the guy whose example that we should follow. He was able to, to cause a maximum effect, protect himself... And then once the, you know, of course, when the incident was over, then he was able to kind of start directing things. And um, if you look at the video of the UPS van, you know, the officers are not, they don't get the the car to pull over. They uh, They haven't gotten any compliance from them. They haven't done a pit maneuver to immobilize the UPS van. The UPS van was simply just stuck in traffic at a a traffic light, and so, you know, the rest of the public doesn't understand that there's a that there's a police chase going on. Uh, The guys in the UPS van had not been shooting at people along the way that I had heard, but you know, all the police went and hopped out of their cars to to try and move and maybe surround these guys. You know, maybe they could convince them to just stop running. But one, one officer thought it was a good di- good idea to, to charge straight at the van. Um, he's the first one that gets shot at. Um, and then of course all the other officers respond by just hosing the van. But what did that, what did that cop think he was gonna do? That he was just gonna run right up and hop into the van with two armed, you know, armed uh, robbers that had already shot with somebody. And what, the robbers would be so surprised that they would just give up and let him handcuff them? Like, what? He, these guys that they know have already shot at people, have already injured somebody, he's just gonna run right up in their face. Like, what was he thinking? So I, that's definitely, um, and then, and so let's say if these officers were thinking and it had decent training and it maybe stayed up to date on their training, um, so, you know, officer Leroy Jenkins decides he's going to go and single-handedly take these guys down and he gets hit and falls down in the street just as traffic is starting to move, um, is there, as long as those guys are not, uh, you know, getting out and targeting people randomly in their vehicles, is there any reason why in that situation they can't just let the truck, you know, start moving again and go and rescue their, their brother officer and provide first aid and things like that and then catch the UPS truck later when they're able to get it to pull over or get, disable it or wait till it runs out of gas or just follow it until they realize there's nowhere to run Uh, I mean Los Angeles Police Department this is one of the policies that they've developed over the years of doing many 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 car chases they will pursue the suspect vehicle but they're not going to pursue them so closely that the person panics and starts to get reckless and starts smashing into people Um, they'll just use their helicopters they'll use their vehicles to just follow them until that person runs out of gas or decides to you know make a break for it and uh, and if the person leaves LA County basically I think the standard is like say they're gonna go head north out of Los Angeles once they leave L.A. County, and once it gets to be where the traffic is a little bit lighter, then then the California Highway Patrol or whoever pursues them is going to do a pit maneuver and stop the chase. But, you know, with that recognition that it's so dangerous to chase someone in heavy traffic like that, LAPD has found the best tactic is, it's not sexy, but you just wait them out. Just, yeah, they, they, they'll run, they'll run, they'll run, eventually someone's going to have to go to the bathroom eventually the cars going to run out of gas <laughs> eventually they're going to decide that yeah you know, maybe i can make it on foot like they're not going to be able to go forever so it and it's it seems to be this trend of of cops who and it's not all police officers clearly but it seems to be more and more often that there are cops who are who are getting kind of a cowboy attitude about it. Um, a few years ago, there was a, uh, Utah County Sheriff's deputy that, um, he decided he was going to end a vehicle chase by setting an ambush for the, um, for the guy that they were chasing. And, um, somehow or another, this officer was issued a full auto MP5, um, submachine gun. And so this officer pulled ahead. He, he went onto an off-ramp um, in front of where this guy, uh, the person, the suspect they were pursuing was going to go. And he called ahead and had his had the other officers back off a little bit. And then as the suspect passed him, he, uh, <laughs> he set his, his MP5 to full auto. And as the guy started passing him, he just uh, hosed hose the truck of the suspect um, now he was he was trying to either disable the engine or hit the tires or um, take out the driver I'm pretty sure he was aiming at the driver driver ended up only taking one bullet to the shoulder really but he was also wearing a vest so I think that probably shielded his his chest and and this dude I mean the guy had guns and a bulletproof vest so the guy was set for a fight Um, definitely a dangerous person but what happened was this officer got zoned in on trying to hit his target and you can see the video of it as the guys coming in he goes you know he holds down the trigger and starts sending rounds into this guy's truck but then as the truck starts to drive past him while he's still firing, he follows and tracks the truck around till he's almost turned around one hundred and eighty degrees, still firing at the truck. And um, one of his bullets actually missed the truck and broke a window in a passenger vehicle heading the opposite direction on the freeway. so he he almost drilled a, a random bystander in the head. With his you know little machine gun stunt and uh, nobody got hurt and so and I, I'm sure he got a stern talking to from his department probably you know maybe even a uh, some sort of disciplinary measure but uh, more and more videos like that have surfaced and some a lot of people who kind of misunderstand or are kind of like cheerleading the uh, you know the the badass attitude of of Emptying a magazine on on someone to try and stop a pursuit and I think it's uh, I think it's led to this mentality amongst some people in the public and some police officers that Um, of just kind of Just get in there and be real aggressive But um That's uh, not what they're, not what the police trainers would be teaching them So yeah, I mean that that UPS thing is is pretty ridiculous. It's totally unnecessary. And um I am 100% positive that the that the UPS driver was was killed by police um at the time you can see if you are able to find the un, unfiltered video of it, you can see that the um you can see the bank robbers who have stuck their gun out and they're shooting and they'll kind of go back in the van for cover. Um, but at the same time where you see, you can kind of see the UPS driver either go to the deck for cover or go to a, a crouching either either for cover or because they were hit, um, you can see him go down and you can see that the uh, the robber that was next to him shooting at the passenger door is he's standing and shooting at the cops he's not looking down at the uh at the ups driver and then you can see his body react and of course then he he falls out down the stairs and the robber falls out so he definitely yeah i don't think there's any any way that the robbers just you know were were engaged in a gun battle with the police and decided to turn around and shoot the guy down at their feet and then turn back around and continue shooting with the police um, also the bystander that was hit I found an, uh a video from so they were they were waiting at an intersection and uh, the video was of uh, a car that was on the right hand side. Uh, of where the UPS truck was would have been heading through the intersection. So this car was on the right hand side up by the crosswalk and I think it was waiting to go through and um, you know this guy gets his camera out and he's and he's recording because all of a sudden there's you know 60 police cars and sirens just down the street to his left and so he starts recording thinking wow crazy And then shots start firing and immediately you can hear shots move, you know, flying right past where, um, the driver that's recording is like, you can hear the bullets, you know, dart, you know, moving through the air. There's, they make a sound and, um, it's, it's visible, it's audible. Like it's, it's clear that shots are, are either not slowing down very much when they hit the the UPS fan window or they are missing the van entirely and just flying down, flying down the road. Um, And then what's significant in this video is that this guy sitting here, um, he probably doesn't want to drive forward because he doesn't want to drive into the path of the bullets. Um, but eventually the, eventually it stops and uh, a lot of the cars that had been in front of the UPS van all turn and of course are trying to get away. But one of the cars comes up and hits hits the car of the guy who's recording and um, he's kind of yelling at the dude and then he realizes that the, the driver of the car that hit him is hurt. And that turns out to be the bystander who was killed. Now you can look in... Um, A couple of frames of the video, you can see that the bystander, he's sitting in his driver's seat, he kind of slumps over, and you can see in his back window at about about head or neck level, there is a hole on the driver's side in the back window. So, um, there's basically no way that any of the robbers could have shot this guy. The robbers were shooting back into the right, back into the left, um, from the police and or at the police. And so there was no car that would have been angled in that way, um, where the shot would have come from behind. So it was it was definitely it was definitely a police bullet that 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 killed that guy. Um I mean unless the robbers started shooting at people in front of them to make them move but I highly highly doubt that that's that that's uh, what happened I, of course I haven't looked at the any of the reports if the if the round had been you know had hit at neck level but then had it impacted the guy um, the driver very low in his body you know below his kidneys or something hitting a hitting a major artery then, then that could be a different story but it kind of looks like he, uh, he was shot by the police but I mean the whole thing is just unnecessary, it's ridiculous police have training to address situations like this um, you know and part of the training is to calm the police officers down, that's part of the reason why you slow it down anyway, this is a long uh, bit of feedback but hopefully it's useful. Keep up the good work. Bye.
0: Okay, Dave. Thanks very much for sending that in. Again, a lot of really good stuff there. A lot of really good points. Can't really find anything in there that I disagree with. Uh, I, <laughs> I especially like the, the Leroy Jenkins reference. I haven't heard that in a long time. So uh, for those of you guys that don't know, there was a video, I think they were playing World of Warcraft or something like that. A bunch of guys were, and they're uh, uh, they're you know, sort of all together, you know, on the server and everything, and they're gonna go in and do this stuff. And then this one guy just runs in and kind of messes everything up. and as he runs in, he screams out his name, Leroy Jenkins! And uh, so if you type in just Leroy Jenkins, you'll be able to to find that on YouTube real quick. So anyway, like I said, I don't have a ton of extra stuff to say other than, you know, what I covered last time. We'll take it on a, 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 a little bit of a different path here. And I was watching a video the other day about a guy and he was talking about crime in general. What is kind of happening with with crime in, in the United States today? And and to a lesser extent what's happening in other countries and especially here in the united states we are seeing a decline in murder rates and we are seeing but we we're also seeing an uptick in violent crime and what that means and you have to understand when there's a lot of different factors that go on with that um So when you say there's been a reduction in murder rates, and partially part of that is because there are more and more people that are armed and more and more people that can fight off an attack. But there is also a, and this has been true for several years. There is also a, 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 how do I want to say it? There has been a improvement. I guess, maybe in communication, meaning that everybody has a cell phone now and everybody has had a cell phone probably for the past, you know, 10 years. They're, they're commonplace. And so because there is an improvement in communication, a lot of times if somebody gets shot and if it's, whether it's a bad guy shooting somebody or a good guy shooting someone or somebody accidentally shooting themselves or an attempted suicide all of these elements that are factoring into homicide rates uh, or well what i should say is what is can be reported as, as well what i should say instead of homicide rates is gun deaths but again we'll kind of get back to that this that thing here in a second but if we're talking about homicide rates you wouldn't necessarily have uh, suicide type in those wouldn't be factored into that so because communication is better and because we've had more advancements in the medical fields, We's all, we're always getting advancements in medical. A lot of times people that are getting shot that maybe wouldn't make it because help can get to them sooner. And if, if, and if it's not one of these one-shot stop type things where it just hits the heart and, and they're gone or it blows through the lungs and they, you know, something happens where it hits a major artery and they just bleed out in a couple of minutes a lot of times if, if they can get you to the hospital and you can actually get, they can start working on you within about 20 minutes or so, generally, especially with a handgun round, again, with the caveat of where the, where the, where the round went, where the, where the shot placement was, generally you have a pretty good chance of survival. So, and a lot of times when they, when they talk about homicide rates, they don't really factor that stuff in. Uh, A lot of times people are shot with smaller caliber weapons. So when they talk about gun violence, um, you know, a lot of times they don't factor in, well, yeah, this person was shot a bunch, but uh, it was with a smaller caliber. Maybe it was with a 22 or a 25 or, uh, you know, a 32, although you don't see those calibers that much anymore. But even with 9mm, a lot of times if, if you can get to the hospital on time and it hasn't been just a devastating wound, uh, again, with shot placement, you've, you've got a pretty good chance of survival. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be messed up for the rest of your life or that you may uh, have major problems going forward, but you're not going to die. So part of that has to do with, again, why the homicide rate has gone down and then why the violent crime rate has gone up because all those people that survived, whether they're a good guy or a bad guy, uh, and in and, and the case of uh, we're, when we're talking about, you know, bad guys, we're saying maybe you have criminals that are that are in, engaging in, in gun battles and stuff like that with other criminals. So you have gang members that are shooting each other. So it's not that they're breaking into somebody's house and they get shot type thing. So, but those guys are still, they're still a victim of violent crime. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a gang member or a thief or, or, uh, you know, whatever. You're still considered the victim. So, with more and more people being armed, uh, more, we'll say, just average citizens being armed, criminals, in, in my experience, were more apt to be afraid of an armed citizen than they were of the police because the armed citizen doesn't really, they're kind of like them. They don't really have any rules of engagement. Now we have self-imposed rules of engagement, but we don't necessarily have to, in some ways we have it easier than the police. In some ways we have it harder than the police, especially in an aftermath thing. A lot of times though, and, and this is kind of going to get to the point, and I'm going to talk and sort of tie this in a little bit with the, with the UPS shooting, the Florida that happened down in Florida. A lot of times we have to, to, to really look at a lot of the different factors when we hear, oh, murder rates are going down, or this is happening, or that is happening, or in the case of school shootings. And we see that, and then when they say stuff like, oh, their school shootings are going up and mass shootings are going up. Well, what does that mean? Where are they getting that information? And the re- one of the reasons, and especially if we look at some of the things with school shootings and mass shootings, why those things are going up is the people that are reporting it and the people that are classifying it have an agenda. And the agenda is not pro-gun the agenda is we want to make guns and the ownership of guns look as bad as, as possible. So what they're doing is they're, they're moving, they're constantly moving what we'll call maybe the, the burden of proof for lack of a better term, uh, or they're, they're lowering that bar to entry into the, uh, that category. So if you were to say to somebody, is it a school shooting when there is a school across the street and, and it's, it's on a, it's on a Friday afternoon, but it's four o'clock and nobody's really there. And across the street, there were a couple of guys that were, you know, were shooting at each other and a bullet went through one of the windows. And by the time it got over there, it just kind of went through and, you know, it wouldn't have even hurt anybody type thing. Uh, Or, you know, somebody comes there on a Saturday. They drive into the school parking lot because it's kind of deserted and they kill themselves. They shoot themselves. Would you consider that a school shooting? And most people, even if they were kind of anti-gun, would say, well... No, you know, a school shooting is when somebody goes in and is actively trying to shoot people in the school. It's not all these, and so there was, you know, there were several other things that were, that were like that, that you could that where where they are saying there is a, a a grain of sand's worth of truth on the whole beach, and so you know they then pop that into the category. But when you actually start saying, okay, well somebody actively came to the school to try and shoot as many people as possible, then those numbers start going down. Are there, There kind of maybe more of those than there were in the past. I would probably say, yeah, but not to the extent that there, that there is. And like I've talked about on this show before, there is a way to stop those school shootings. If, if word got out that there are armed staff members there, and it's more than one, and you don't have any idea who it is, and those people are committed to if your 15-year-old self comes in there and starts shooting up the school, they're going to kill you. What a lot of those people might do is do something a little bit different. They might, and I think that if that were common knowledge, that you would not have, school shootings would go away. It is sort of like Nobody really goes in and starts to shoot up a police station. Nobody goes in and starts to shoot up the gun range. And in a country this size, look, you you would never ever be able to 100% stop something like that because you're dealing with people who, whether you want to say that they're crazy, they're mentally ill, they have derangement. Those people have made, and even if they have those things, those people have made the commitment to do that. They have that mindset where they're going to go in. And if that means that they get killed, so be it. And a lot of times that's what they want to have happen. There's a, a term called suicide by cop. And there, I think there's also a term suicide, maybe even by, by gun range. Although I, I don't know how prominent something like that is. I know that there are things where people will maybe go to a gun range to commit suicide or sometimes to do a murder suicide meaning that what they're going to do is they're going to go in there with their whoever they want to kill usually it's it's a significant other type thing sometimes it can be but you uh, you know family members but generally it's people that are very very close it's generally not not strangers uh, and so they will go in and they you know they've got the gun they boom they Shoot the person they want to kill, and then they turn the gun on themselves. Or a lot of times, people will go in there and they will, you know, kill themselves at range. But even even with that, it is generally that is very rare that that happens. But if we're going to be intellectually honest, we need to say, okay, yeah, it does happen. So anyway, getting back to some of this this stuff we were talking about, kind of about the mass shootings. One of the things that they have done, and again, if you asked people, well, what would you consider to be a mass shooting? They would talk about maybe something like, oh, it's, it's uh, what happened up in Vegas or it's what happened in that, uh, I think it was that nightclub, was it in Orlando? I, I cannot remember where it was, uh, where it was a gay club and that guy went in and shot up a bunch of people. Um, they generally probably would say, oh, you know, three people is kind of a, it's a tragedy, but I don't, I wouldn't really say that was a mass shooting. And especially if you include the shooter in that, they would say, oh, so he shot two people and then somebody else shot him or the cop shot him or a bystander shot him or he, then he killed himself and he's part of the body count. Most people would say, ah, that guy really shouldn't be considered in there. But a lot of times it is, you know, when, when, they'll, when somebody goes in and maybe they shoot four or five people, which is a horrible thing, but then you find out, oh... The fifth victim was the actual shooter. And sometimes with the mass shootings there, they also kind of conflate the numbers to make it sound like they'll say, well, five people were shot and maybe only one or two people lost their lives. You know, which is again, I'm not trying to, we we have to sort of dismiss emotion here a little bit and, and take a step back from that. I'm not trying to say, Oh, it's only three people. So it's not a big deal it's still a horrible tragedy but to call that or identify that as a mass shooting especially when the people that are saying well here's here's how those categories work and here's how we're going to do those statistics are people that have an agenda again to make the ownership of firearms in this country uh, something that cannot be done that that you know, you'll, all of them have to be turned in. Nobody has guns except for, again, you know, criminals and police. And even if the criminals and police didn't have them, they're going to have knives, they're going to have, you know, sticks, or they're going to just have their own physical strength and size or numbers. Now, I don't think probably in the United States, probably in my lifetime, if I live another 40 years, I, I don't think gun ownership in this country is going to go down. There could be some regulations that come and go, you know, but I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a thing of where we're going to end up like Europe. We might, I, you know, I don't know if, if we do, like I said, I don't think it'll be in my lifetime. I probably will be dead and buried long before that happens. But, uh, you know, some wacky stuff happens. I mean, we see it with Virginia. So anyway, um, kind of getting back to the Florida thing, technically, Florida the 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 where the UPS driver was killed and the two hijackers were killed and the innocent bystanders were killed that's four people so technically that would would be considered a mass shooting now who did that mass shooting who killed all those people well it was the police and while I don't necessarily have any well I don't have a lot of Sympathy for the criminal actors who were doing that and who were opening up now, they were opening fire on the police and they were opening fire. I mean, we have to again be intellectually honest and say these people were shooting at the police, that's true, but there were also innocent civilians around and they had taken a person hostage, uh, they had hijacked him. I don't, and I don't know necessarily if we technically the guy was a hostage, but I don't know if that was their intent. Uh, or if they were just making the guy drive or if they, uh, you know, instead of just pitching him out of the the vehicle and taking the UPS truck, I don't know if it was their intention from the start to take him as a hostage. We'll never know because all those people are dead. But when you go back and you watch the the footage, like I was saying earlier on the earlier shows and and what Dave was saying, the police in that, I I cannot see, I, I cannot... And and maybe it'll, you know, who knows? Maybe they did pump a bullet in that guy. I don't think they're going to do that if they're actively trying to have a shootout with the police. I don't think that they're going to, their first instinct is going to be immediately execute this guy. Um, If they're in a gunfight, I think they're going to be focused on their targets, which are the police and the people that are firing at them. Uh, But I think, and we've already, we already know for sure that the police killed one innocent bystander. We don't know how much damage was done. We don't know. Uh, maybe the maybe the UPS truck soaked up enough of the energy of the bullets when they're going through that uh, other people other people's vehicles and things weren't damaged. Uh, but we're not going to know that. Uh, like I said, we're probably not going to know for a, probably at least a year or so, maybe more whose actual bullet, how many bullets hit that poor driver. We already know for sure, though, that they did kill that. I think he was in his 70s. He was about 70 or... I don't know if he was just 70 or if, if he was in his 70s, but they, they killed that guy. When you look at that situation, in, and people will say, well, then the, the, pol- the police apologists will say, and again, Dave kind of addressed some of this stuff, but I'll kind of address it as well. Police apologists will say, well, they, they, they didn't have any choice. They couldn't have, they, you know, they, they had to fire back. Well, did they? And again, remember some of the points that Dave brought up. Now he went through an academy. He wasn't sort of boots on the ground type stuff, but it's similar to some of the things that, you know, some of the training and things that I had were starting to go through right before I left. And when they talk about if you are a person who is going to be armed and you're working We'll say for the government, so your police or in, in my case would have been probation. What are things you can and can't do? When can you take a shot? When can you not take a shot? Uh, what are some of the other tools that are available to you? Uh, in our case, it would have been you know, pepper spray and you know, the gun. So we would have had a couple of different options. We also had training in the baton, in the uh, collapsible baton. So that, that if you if you had those things on you, you have other options. And we talked about sort of the use of force and the escalation of the use of force, all that type of stuff. So um, anyway, I think what we will do is call it to a close. And if you guys have some different opinions, let me know. I'd love to, I'd love to hear it. Like I said, I, I'm not concerned necessarily with length of... Uh, of feedback. If you got an extra long email, I will, you know, more than happily read it out for you. If you've got a little bit longer audio, uh, I welcome it, you know, to the show. It's it's good to hear sort of a different voice and different opinions, things like that. Uh, or if you have experience with, you know, some 10 millimeters, what did you think about it? 10 millimeter Glocks or or other maybe 1911 type guns that are in 10 millimeter. What did you think about it? Do you think you're again for against you know use against humans and then use against maybe animals? You know what would be your opinion on that type of stuff? So, uh, but I did want to kind of make the point too of when both sides, our side and the anti-gun side, are spouting out statistics and are giving you a bunch of numbers. Kind of try and think, well, what do those numbers mean? Who has given me no, who has given me those numbers? if they seem to fit what I believe or they don't fit what I believe, why is that? Who, uh, again, what's the agenda of the people that are doing that? Is it, does it come from a person who maybe doesn't have, who's going to just report the information and maybe isn't going to let their bias get in the way? I think a guy that, and uh, that is really good at that is John Lott. And, you know, he was an economist and he, looks at the numbers, looks at tons of different variables. Does he have a bias? You know, maybe, you know, I I would say probably a little bit in that. I think the reason he has a bias is because he has, excuse me, my voice is starting to go here a little bit, been talking so long. He has seen what the information and the, the, the true data is. And so when you look across, social economic barriers. When you look across, oh, this is, you know, suicides versus homicides. This is, you know, gang shooting versus home defense shooting. This is, you know, versus uh, murder of a spouse or murder of a family member type thing. And he's seen, oh, okay, this is what the information says. And the information says basically more guns in the hands of good people equals less victimization. And even with that, we have to understand that it gives you the, the person, the good guy, a chance to fight off the bad guy. Anyway, I am going to go ahead, <clears throat> excuse me, woo, I'm going to go ahead and draw it to a close. And I would love to hear from you guys. Voicemail, 206 745 2731. Email, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All right, I will talk to you next time. Hey guys, guess what, I tricked you. I've got a little tiny bit of a segment. I know this show is about 14 hours long, but it is what it is. Anyway, I just got back from the range and I had gone with my aunt. She wanted me to go with her and kind of go through the shooting process, so to speak, of the MMP Shield. And originally we were gonna shoot the, the 380, the EZ, uh, because she had some hand strength issues. She had gotten, she had made the reservation and gotten there a little bit before me. And and talking to the guy, he was like, well, why don't you try the nine millimeter? And so she was like, well, I'll go ahead and give that a try. So we ended up trying the nine millimeter. We did not shoot the 380. We're probably gonna go back uh, a little later and go ahead and shoot that just to, so that she has a, uh, a good reference she likes the gun uh that we shot which is again is the easy and the nine millimeter and this is the m&p shield EZ. so i think she may end up getting that um it holds eight rounds i don't know if they make and it's a single stack i don't know if they make uh other stuff for it i found the gun to uh, to be fine um it is a little, maybe a little snappy. And I, the, and for me, I don't necessarily, I don't really care for the trigger. It's okay, it's fine. I am so used to now shooting the HK trigger and I am also used to shooting the Glock trigger. So that's sort of my, my baseline. And I've shot other MPs in the past and I've never been fond of their triggers. Now, of course, having said that, that's kind of a a, a little bit of a nitpick thing, I guess. But, uh, you know, uh, if somebody said, "Well, all you can have is an M&P and you have to have the stock trigger," I'd be like, "Okay, it's fine. I'll, I can shoot it just fine." Uh as far as accuracy, it was fine. It shot kind of for a range gun. I thought it probably it, it shot pretty much where I was aiming. Uh, if I would do my part, I think, like I said, I did find it a little bit, maybe a little bit snappy uh, with the recoil. Uh, I found that as far as the gun fitting, the way that the, uh, the grip is, and maybe, I, again, I'm just used to either a Glock or, or the HK VP9, I'm so much more used to that, that I think it would take me a few rounds. And I, only, I think I maybe only shot, I don't know, 10 rounds, and I had her shoot the rest, uh, which she shot maybe about 15 rounds. But, you know, we started off doing some dry fire and, and going slow and, and working on grip stuff. And she, like I said before, is a relatively new shooter. She doesn't have a lot of experience. So what we're gonna do, maybe in a couple of weeks or so, or maybe sometime next week, I don't know, is we're gonna go back and we're gonna shoot that, the easy and the 380, just to see what she thinks. I know some people are kind of down on 380 for a self-defense round, but a lot of times I think that we sort of, I don't know, over, overplay the importance of that. Of course, it's, it's more about shot placement. A lot of times in uh, in, a, in a situation where it would be, let's say, a break-in to the home where they are. if uh, In, in uh, a lot of the, the things that I see in the and back in the day when I was reading the police reports, if somebody was firing shots at you, most criminals are, are going to leave. So anyway, I don't want to go into... Uh, two more rambling or, or, or talk for another 30 minutes on this segment and have the show be another 12 hours long. But I did want to report back to you guys that the gun was fine. It's not something necessarily I think that I would choose. And you know, let me, let me give you an observation about it because she has some hand issues. There were a few times and, and part of it is training then she's just going to learn how to have to grip it properly. But there were a few times where when we were doing the dry firing that it wasn't, she wasn't able to pull the trigger because of improper or I don't want to say improper, because that's not the correct term. Uh, she, she didn't have enough of a, uh, of a grip on that grip safety in the back of the uh, on the back of the frame sorry there got a little distracted as i am uh, driving anyway she sometimes with the grip that she had she was unable to get that uh, grip safety depressed all the way and so you could see she's like well it's not working and she and she would immediately kind of think oh i'm not doing the slide right and i was like no you're not gripping it. But again, that is more of a training issue. However, it is, you know, it's marketed to people that have hand strength issues or maybe not have the strongest grip type thing. Or, uh, so I, I, I don't know. I don't, again, it doesn't bother me if I was shooting it, but I saw firsthand where it was that grip, safety on the back, the squeeze safety was a detriment. And if it was a thing where this, you know, it's marketed to that person who maybe doesn't have the greatest hand strength or maybe doesn't always get the, the exact grip that they need to be getting. Boy, I thought, I thought that could be more of a liability, especially seeing it kind of firsthand, you know, you know, if somebody buys this gun, they go to the range, they shoot it a few times and then they think, yeah, this is the gun for me. And then they sort of stick it on the nightstand or, it, you know, it stays in the, in the dresser drawer when it comes time, if they ever have to use it, uh, I don't know. I, I, because they had, they don't, they're not going to have enough familiarity with it. I see that thing as sort of a, maybe a little bit of a liability. Now let's say if for whatever reason, she just couldn't get it. Now as time went on, she was able to do it a little better. And this was only the first time. If, if, if I was going to give that to somebody who just, you know, was having trouble with the grip, I guess I would maybe take some, some, uh, maybe skateboard tape or tennis tape or something. And I would just tape that thing down to where it was. you, You didn't have to worry about it at all. But anyway, that's kind of my two cents. All right, for reals this time, I will talk to you guys next time.
1: Gotta get
0: home. Black coffee, I'm so dizzy. Black coffee, please get dizzy. Oh, 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 oh. help me to get home. Black coffee, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm so dizzy. Please get dizzy. Man, 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 I'm not gonna get home. I love it. I'm in trouble. I'm so dizzy. Things get dribbled, oh, 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 now I'm not gonna get home.